Emmy, it's great to see you. You are like Morning. a long glass of water to a thirsty oh, woman. Um, that's lovely, Jerry. It's, it's good to see you too. We've had lots going on, of course. There's a lot of em- emotion and energy around this morning. So uh, there absolutely is because now we're going to move to some of the hardcore issues yeah. of oh, psychological yeah. practice. Yeah, buckle up. We're going to saddle up, everyone. Yeah. We're going into yeah. the darkness. Now, you'll be glad to know I've got a framework. Oh, I uh, love I, you. You're so funny yes, with your framework. Yes, love okay. a model, love a framework. Yes, that's, that's your way. psychology. That's Jerry's way. So mm-hmm. the Dow is present. Okay, let's do it. Well, okay, some of us so, will love that. Uh, I should say that the framework is just made up. It's not a research-based framework. Um, I'm Some- I'm awaiting John Norcross's call. I think um, John Norcross uh, could be in the pre-contemplation phase of connecting with me. Uh, that's, that's upsetting. He, yes, he may even be in the anti-contemplation phase. Yeah, uh, well, so everybody out there making up models is something we like to do yeah. recreationally. We try to stick to the research-based models in practice but a good made-up model that a friend told me about was she coined the term annoying personality disorder oh so Uh, funny oh god (laughs) (laughs) i think we'll have a bit of a drink everyone can listen to me swallowing okay Um, good another 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 much loved psych in my life uh coined the term anti-contemplation that's before even pre-contemplation where something has crossed your mind and you've absolutely rejected it you've for just thought, eternity. No. no, that washing can wait a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So I have the made-up okay. framework of Good, a psychology practitioner's career development. Okay, um, okay great. I love it. Okay. It's, it's, uh, yeah, what have that we got? was possibly... A big intro for something. Yeah, that it was massive. I mean, the, the expectations have been raised and lowered a bit, but I still <laughs> think I still think we're there. We're still waiting. We're poised. We're anticipating. We're wondering. We're curious. What right. is the mystery? Okay, ready. Here's the okay. arc, right? The okay, arc arc of yep. a psychology practitioner. We have uh-huh. early career, middle career, and late <laughs> oh, career. Yes, See? yes, scintillating. <laughs> We're riveted, we're riveted, we just can't, (laughs) we're gripping the edge of our seats. Right. Okay. Now, early career may not be, I will state that the model is not correlated (laughs) with age, but rather your time in the practice and you may be. Time in the chair, all right, yeah. You may be in a different career stage with different aspects of your practice. For example, after many years in um, public health, I had a private practice, so I was maybe in middle career in the public sector but early career in private practice and so on. Oh, you know, thank you for that clarifying detail. That's It's just we want to get absolutely clear. I love it, right? Yes, yes. Okay, So early career, once again, making this stuff up, people. Flying by the seat, righto, good. It's it's essentially all about the career. Um, Yes, well. Early career, I didn't have kids. It was the no. main force in my life. Uh, there's an explosion yeah. of learning, of passion. Oh, yes. Remember those days, Jerry. Yes, and, and we yes. often talk amongst ourselves about the young people, which is kind of code <laughs> for the enthusiasm for, and the seriousness yeah. of yeah. early career practitioners. Yes, the potential is still as yet unrealised. It's a possibility. There's a dream. The dream leads us forward. Absolutely. Yes. A good example of this is is Mm -hmm. I said to an early career psychologist, you've got to have an escape plan. And he or she denied the need for an escape plan. Oh, Um, bless you, Jerry. And that is early career psychology all over. You think you don't need an escape plan. It's it's called some kind of blindness. Um, Yes. Well, the cognitive dissonance would have prevented that young person from because they have it. Oh, they need to believe in the dream to pull them forward. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to have a existential crisis during this episode. 
or, or you think so because I think <laughs> yeah. middle career is the time oh, of the existential, existential crisis, like um, right? Well, possibly. Okay, yes. Right. So according to that, we really need to give a name for this. this yeah, could be let's the, name something. Like, yeah. Um, hierarchy of career needs or <laughs> the GLOP framework. Anyway, okay, the, the GLOP framework. <laughs> right. Yes. The let's GLOP model. Yeah. The- <laughs> Sorry, okay. I'm just trying so, to get yeah, okay, yes. The right middle on. part of the Glock model is yes. middle career, where mm-hmm. I think middle career is distinguished by earning a living and being incredibly busy. It, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. And this is going to connect to because you can use this model more or less for anything like supervision needs, self-care needs, um, sure. further education yes. needs, because I think all of those things and the needs for all the yearning, the yeah. uh, background rationale for all of those things is different in different aspects of your career. I think, um, yes, this, yes, I agree with you, yes. So middle career, um, mm. best distinguished by people like ourselves, not best distinguished, that's very ethnocentric, but, you know, um, middle-aged, Gen- busy person, <laughs> yes. doing a lot of hours, quite yeah. stressed. Perhaps their passion is tempered. Or I think so. I think it's just from the workload, yeah. Mm-hmm. You just, it's, or, it's hard to keep going. Yeah. Well, stamina is um, an issue, maybe. Yes, yes, see different issues at different times. Um, perhaps the passion is there. Um, yeah, yeah, well, but it's yeah. Sure as hell hard to fit it in. It's not easy to run on the passion. Like the smell of the oily rags about as, as far as you're going to get at that phase. Like it's just you, there's a sort of a grind and a throughput going on at some of the time. The, the vision is you're in the vision. You're living the dream at that point. So it's no longer inspiring you because mm-hmm. you're acting it out. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. You may have a wardrobe of career clothing. I certainly uh, do. It's very yes. similar. It's comfortable. <laughs> Functional. <laughs> Um, anyway, we, we don't want to go down that. No, sorry, we don't go down that rabbit hole. That's the rabbit hole, right? Okay, yeah, okay. keep on keep on the on track. Okay, yes. Next, uh, and I guess middle career is where you're going to see the big tension of the cliched but still always relevant work life balance. Oh, crikey! Yeah. Okay. Sure. Then we move yep. to late career. Um, And I think in late career, perhaps work is no longer the most dominant thing in your life, but perhaps it's also a time of reflection, a time of Mm. like, so what does all this psychology stuff really mean? Yeah. Uh, And what the hell am I going to do when I retire anyway? Um, Well, that's so that's the existential crisis there. Who am I if I'm not doing this? Yes, well, something well, like I that. Think no, there's potential for okay. uh, existential crisis at each ev- ev- phase. Oh, right. Thank you for th- thorough answer. Thank you. Yep. All right. Okay. Uh, the, the existential crisis looks different in each phase. Um, I suppose so. Yeah, that's more in, more detailed. Yeah, more specific. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I was middle career. But Did you? on reflection with myself and a model mm-hmm. I created, which yes. reassuring. is possibly the definition of navel-gazing, I matter. now think I'm possibly late career. You probably are, Jerry. I think you and I are crossing that threshold, if not already there. Mm. I think mm. we, we – because, you know, I think we're in that 30-year marathon point you know, aren't we? Mm. We're, appro- we're approaching it if we're not there. Mm. Feels like I'm there. <laughs> Feels like. I'm- yes, yes. Perhaps late career is distinguished yeah. by its own <laughs> sort of yeah, fatigue. Yeah, sort of relentless onslaught of oh, um, fam- family dynamics. You know, uh, yes. So I uh, that is as far as my thinking okay. really oh. got, which I know is right. not super useful. Gosh, it was I was really anticipating a resolution of the dilemma. I was hopeful there for a minute, Jerry. You've you've I feel dashed. My hopes have been dashed. 
Well, we've got to apply the model okay, to right. something difficult or yeah, we, just, do. we just use it as our scaffold. And, and okay. the... We can we can apply it to things that are fun or things that are. Yeah. But, but today we're in the mode of hey, we're not we're not happy today, are we? Mm, you know, mm, we're not. We're a bit stressed. Happening. We're going to yeah, it. True. And yep. uh, what I thought was yeah. Then then again, just for fun, I started categorizing difficult things which can happen in psychological practice. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Now, yep. Most of these are not client related. Yeah. And true. if we reflect on that, we could think that that's because clients are meant to be difficult. That's their role. They can be difficult. I mean, it's their role to be difficult. And so, yeah. in some sort of 1984 double speak. Oh we'll God! Say in, it, in its essence, a client cannot be difficult. Um, are you with me? Have I lost yeah. you? No, keep going. Well, I'm just attending to the process, Jerry. Okay, so you've you got a process. Yeah. A- anyway, yeah. most yeah, go, of these going. are not client related, although of course clients are by nature involved. So okay, the clients. The are first the, one the set- is yeah. Okay, great. Go. Complaints. What the hell do you do if a complaint's oh, made against you? Um, how many times is it going to happen in your career and how mm-hmm. are you going to handle it at early, mid-career or late? Oh, yeah, righto. Okay, um, mm, good point. What, okay, second category of difficult things, court action. Oh, um, yeah. Which uh, can be needing to do a report. A report, yes. I, uh, I've got some know, stories on all these. Yes. This word, subpoenas. Is that, am I saying uh, it? Yes, yeah, subpoenas. Yeah. You think yep. all of those episodes of Law and Order would be helpful here? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so so somebody wants your notes, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, the old, the old note sequestering. Yeah. Uh, in the Australian vernacular, the next category of um, difficulty which can happen in practice is the yeah. compo claim. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. They're, they're annoying as well. Well, the, the, each of these things needs some kind of strategy. I like a model for each of these things. Wow. I reckon. Mm, wow. Yeah, we're for cascading sure. Cascading into more. Sorry, and more sorry, models. sorry. Sorry, you keep going. You've got a structure. Let's keep going. We're up to the third menu item. Is there another? Okay, so we've yeah, got yeah. three C's. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was, they're good ones. They're, they're complaints. Awesome. Court yep. action and court compo action. claims, but it's really some kind of like ongoing liaison um, with an organization. Yes, yes. Um, and then I have the most client related one, which is suicidality or client death. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. They're the top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. and, and this this is super serious because it is serious. We, we can't really talk about that only from our point of view because I think the, the longer the longer you've been in private in practice the the more likely you're going to encounter at least one of those four things probably all of them but so the longer you're practicing they'll, it, they'll just come across your path it just it will just happen yes yes because of the volume of people yes, that you've worked with yes and it may have changed over the years. I can't speak for the young people or the early career clean psychs, but mm. I think uh, our clinical training, um, albeit it was in the 90s for me, mm-hmm. was deficit mm-hmm. here. We didn't go through these things. Um, oh, well, we didn't growth, no, go through these okay. things in a way yeah. that was useful. That was much helpful, right. Yeah. There that was, might there, be... Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I think when your uni training in psychology also does not really prepare you to run anything like a business. It doesn't mm. really, is, it is, doesn't assume that you're you're actually, if you're working for yourself, you, you're going to be running some kind of a business. And there are legal aspects of that. There's a there's a reporting aspect of that. There's a ta- taxation aspect of that that you, you kind of need to understand and figure out how it's going to work. I mean, psychologists are critical thinkers they're, they're able to conceptualize things pretty well so it's not that you can't do it you, you just need to know how to do it yes it's effortful yes yeah 
Well, um, you need to have an idea, you know. Yeah. Have a, well, yeah. We did Keep touch going. on some court things and you did? Okay, in my good. training. Yes, the head of school came in. So sort of, you know, oh. God came in to God came. share his wisdom. Um Right. That must have been lovely for you all. Did you all experience miraculous um, transformation in some way when God came in? Uh, no, there was, no, there was one wasn't. or two useful pointers. Okay, um, well, we, well, I yeah, I actually worked for a statutory body in my when I've completed supervision, and that was the most helpful thing I ever did because I I was present, I was being, uh, I was a witness in court proceedings, I was writing criminal and family court reports a lot. Like I did a lot of those things. And so by the time I was registered, I wasn't really phased by the court process. I understood how it worked, what the rules were, where the pitfalls were, what, you know, like from more from experience. And if, if you, anyone can get access to that kind of work experience, it will soothe you <laughs> for the next 20 years of your practice. Like you won't be panicking about what's going on at court. Mm. Because you'll know. Yes, yes. It's it's hard. It's hard knowledge to get without yes. living through. But we. It is, isn't it? That's a yes. very good. Because I I knew many psychologists in like APS tries to host group activities. They call them the cluster groups. So you're supposed to go along and mix with colleagues. And I and I could I noticed very very quickly that anything to do with a subpoena or a court report freaked everybody out like anxiety heart was at heart attack level pretty easily and some of the psychs were compensating for this by writing everything down like I had there's one psychologist in my cluster group who she was a clinical psychologist and to be honest pretty neurotic like she just was highly highly anxious and very attention to detail and she used to try and in sessions write down everything she said and everything the client said Mm. thinking thinking that would bolster her against a subpoena well all it does is give the court lots of targets to hit at you yes yes in contrast to someone i worked with who would try and always write as um uh less is that the expression yeah. she would try and write as as economical as possible well that's that's what i do i mean you get the assessment down you write the intervention down but as for the rest like that's very clinical and i think that's appropriate so that you know what the treatment plan is and how we're going with it and some measures like where we're at but beyond that everything else is in your mind mm. like what because otherwise otherwise if you write down if you're revealing things about your process in your notes I'm not sure how relevant that is to client progress. It's relevant to your supervision and your practice. Mm. But if that's on the client's file, then that can be used against you in court. And the purpose of court proceedings is to discredit you. Let's make no mistake about that. That is yes. their agenda. They want to discredit your because you well, get to give. Will. Yes. Well, no, it, it's in that we have process. an ad- adversarial court, pr- yes. court process. So you are allowed as a psychologist and a psychiatrist to give a, an opinion as a fact. This is a very important legal distinction because when you give a psychological opinion in a courtroom, the magistrate, the judge, the, the court, court must accept what you say as if it was a fact. So the way the court deals with that is the other side has the, the task to discredit you by any means. That's what they do, which is like being ripped apart, not fun. So you need a strategy to deal with that, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I I think we should dedicate one of our talks just to court action and court procedures um, because it's, yes, what what is all of that about? Um, Well, it's a bit of a dance really and I've got some funny stories where I turn the table embarrassed as in a court proceeding, which is really funny like I had a prop I had the DSM with me and I pulled it out at the right moment thinking I was being very helpful and it totally took the wind out of the barrister sales and so it's a strange kind of game because they don't really understand what psychology is their job mm. is to discredit you and they they'll attack you personally if they can the troubling thing is uh is and I think you know that this is one of my themes, so I won't go on about it, is okay. I think that the court process, particularly the family court process, changes people. 
Um, it is nature, stressful, yes. Very stressful, yeah. It's um, a very, very stressful time in anybody's life. It's, yes. it's probably the most awful time. And I try and go, like in, in the state, state of origin that I live in, we have a mandated mediation process that must happen before you get to go to court in a separation. Mm. You've got to have a, ma- a documented crack at it three times at, le- at least. And the reason for that is we've got this really good law review um, lot in our state of origin, and they're really good at updating laws and seeing how they're working. And what was discovered is that too many people were going to court for to try and resolve separation and custody issues. So this was trialed, and it worked really well. It dealt it dealt with about something crazy like seventy to eighty percent of cases were settled out of court, which is brilliant because it's very expensive to go to court for our mm. state, the government, also the people very stressful so if you can yes. get people to settle yes. and then you just rubber stamp it in the court process or the the, 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 law, the lawyers um negotiate the agreements instead of actually going before a judge i think it's a yes. major i can't remember the judge or a magistrate now changed at one point anyway but yes i agree with you jerry going to court is because i think family court is not criminal court but people associate it with criminal court and here's another awful truth I shouldn't really tell everybody this because it's a bit of an illusion. Family court orders are not legally enforceable. You just take them back to court if they're not complied with. So that yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. it's not actually a way of resolving the problem. So if you've got one parent who's you know profoundly mentally ill and unable to comply for whatever reason, it's not the family court order is not going to coerce them into compliance. Just, that's not how it works. Well, yes, it just extends the problem, doesn't it? It just costs, like it just costs time and money and stress. And mm, mm. so, if you can go through a mediation process, you're way more likely to get agreement and compliance, and the outcomes are way better for kids. Way yes. better. Although, you know, ideally we want to try not to separate if we can, but it's not. You know, obviously, it's not always possible. Sometimes you have to. But if you're going to do it, there's a way to do it well and there's a way to do it really bad, really harsh. Mm, mm. Um, one of the things um, uh, that strikes me is this idea um, that the court process is, is fair Oh, oh, Lord, yeah. And in my experience, which isn't great experience, you mm-hmm. know, it's not fast experience, I think that the court process is um, disorganised. Oh, is it? In in your state, right? Yeah. It's uh, not so disorganised in ours, but okay. Uh, and. Uh, okay, there's too many variables. To bias, and the particular bias yeah. it's prone to is, of course, money. Um, oh, oh dear, that's no good. Okay, so, right. So anyway, that's that's just my opinion. Actually, you're um, right. I had a case that went overseas. Oh, let me quickly tell you this story. This is a naughty clinical psych story as well on the subject of it's all about money. This case went overseas. I won't name the country, but it's in the European Union. And um, mum, mum, kid, and dad. Dad had some kind of bizarre breakdown displaying all sorts of coercive control behaviors but was doing it in a way that was not obvious like so she mum would tell me what was going on and they, they were basically terrified the pair of them she gets a job overseas and goes over there so then we're dealing with the court in australia but also the court overseas and they have to do a bloody family assessment, you know, as you do. So this highly qualified clinical psychologist gets appointed to do this assessment. I'm just trying to figure out how to tell this story simply. This woman was an absolute nightmare. She was full of arrogance and she had she was trotting out some agenda about she it's probably her own story that she was trying to resolve and projecting it onto all the clients. Something about trying to prevent parental alienation from fathers. But in this case, that's not what was going on. There was actually mm. domestic violence risks here and, like, serious issues. Like, the, the father was threatening the mother, like, killing the both of them. It was, it was no messing around. And so I wrote a report and I spoke to this woman and she completely distorted everything I said. I've been treating this case for, I think it was a year at that point before, they, before she got this job overseas. And she tried to have a battle with me about... Um, 
qualifications, just like the appalling behaviour from another professional, just absolutely appalling. Do not make it about whether you're a good psychologist or whether you're better than the treating psychologist. Take the information on face value. So she's tried really hard to discredit me and I was actually able to write, to, to use language and words to prepare a, a rebuttal to this that got to the got in front of the court to discredit her. But the, what she was trying to do was feather her own nest. She, she charged my client an enormous amount of money for this assessment, which essentially said that the, the, child, the child should not have, the contact should not be reduced with the parent and it should not be supervised, the father. And I have seen this happen with psychologists, and I'm sorry to say this, Jerry, but clinical psychologists are the worst at this. They, they, they really think they know what's going on in a case that's highly complicated and they want to play this personal agenda out where they discredit you to bolster the way they feel. I'm, oh, so um, it was so stressful, that case, because this, this woman's life was actually in danger. It wasn't yes. just it wasn't just a matter of children should be with their parents. Of course children should be with their parents. Of course, but sometimes when a parent is mentally ill and threatening to kill both yes. of them, it's yes. not a good idea. Like you need yeah, to have some intervention. Yeah, a hierarchy of risk. <laughs> um w- what I wonder about I wonder if that there's so few people involved in court proceedings mm-hmm. that there's actually a problem that nobody wants to do it. You're probably right. I mean, that's probably um, the true people as well. Who do do it, of course, price themselves out of the market. Uh, or yeah, it's probably fair too. Are very yeah. very alert to being uh, remunerated for the stress and the difficulty of it. Um, for example, I would not put myself forward for any kind of court work. And okay, I think that so this yeah, is a mid to late career thing, which is really saying I don't have. Well, for a start, I actually wouldn't have the skills because I haven't done family assessments for court. But uh, there's. it's opening up to that stress without necessarily having the support. Uh, And I think if if I could draw us back to our framework as I go more into late career or, you know, old and crusty career, uh, the more I have very very ironclad boundaries around is this going to leak from the work domain and become so stressful and so difficult that it leaks into the home or the outside life domain. And I think that is what is so difficult about problems like complaints in early career and mid-career, although they're difficult at any point, I'm not not saying okay um and of course the caveat is i am talking about spurious complaints complaints without measure of course (laughs) there should be a regulatory process of course the public Uh, should be protected once again that goes without saying but i'm I'm just flagging it and saying it but but these things take time now they do seems so incredibly basic but there's been times in my working (laughs) life where i've come home at maybe Nine nine thirty. Um, had a shower, you know. Um, oh, had something to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then got ready to leave work at seven thirty the next morning. Um, mm. this is with kids. Like I had the parenting profile of an alcoholic golf player. You know. Um, Good one. Okay. But there's, there's times in your life where there there is not the padding to deal with extra and that's where things get really, really tough. And I guess that I, I think I really feel for people. I feel I feel empathy for my fellow practitioners at any sure. stage. But when they're so busy and when they're doing so much, I, I particularly want to give you a kind of mental hug, not a sleazy oh, sure, physical you. hug, a mental hug. Uh, well, just go back to the complaint thing again. So, the re- the reason 
we need a registration board or an oversee overseeing agency for any health profession is because of the risk to the public. It's about public safety. Yeah. Right? Now, yeah, it, we don't it's, want the public getting no. molested or No, that, that's, that's right. So if you are in the medical profession, well, it goes, it's my understanding, it's pretty stereotype typical, the actual problems. So it boils down to, I suppose, because human nature does boil down to stereotypes. So if you're a nurse, one of the biggest risks you have is nicking the pain medication. Mm. It's just, it, that's, that's one of the problems. Also, if you're an anaesthetist, one of the risks that you have is you just might get a bit too excited with the drugs. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, so we see... We do. Well, but with psychology, mm. it's what it is, is the, the risk to the public is not medical accidents or operations going wrong. It's the risk that you'll get into a sexual relationship with your patient, client. That's the, that is the thing that psychologists tend to get caught up in. Mm. Mm. That's why we need a board. So, but, but that, the, but that, the board also gets a number of other complaints about ag- aggrieved people that are not related to that sort of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, so that that can really happen and that's hard because as soon as you get a complaint against you, a number of things have right. to um, happen. Uh, so, yeah, what, well, over to you, Amy. What happens? What are the first steps when you get a complaint? Are you on steps? Well, first, <laughs> wow, yeah, what are the first steps? steps? Oh, emotional steps. Well, probably you'll be terrified and shocked because it's bloody appalling. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Jerry's just um, telling me I've got to get the washing on in a minute. Thanks. Righto. Well, okay. We get it. Okay. So you're going to get someone in your career a, a person we'll it, it, see because it could be just a member of the public it doesn't necessarily have to be the a person that was a close somebody who, who has views on you and because we deal with mentally ill people some of the mentally ill populations that we deal with are well you know there's that malevolent presence out there jerry i think we all we all know that we don't want to talk about it. we don't want, we don't want to think of clients in that way but some of the people that we're working with are deeply, um, they're resident in a, in a terrible sort of hell. Mm. And some of them are kind of, they've made peace with their status and they've decided to turn on the world. So one of the ways they can um, express this urge is to make a complaint about you to the board. Mm. So I'll, I'll read you one that happened with about myself recently. I only got the summary. I didn't get the war and peace version, which makes me think whoever rang up and had a whinge was going on for a couple of pages. So the board decided to just give me the two sentences. And in Australia, you can make what's known as an anonymous notification. So you can choose to hide your identity from but. <laughs> From the board. Righto. Anyway, it was just the two sentences, which is a bit anticlimactic, but this is what 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 the complaint was or the notification. The notifier has raised concerns that the practitioner suffers from paranoid delusions and may be attempting to have her clients believe that these delusions are true. The notifier is concerned that this is affecting or has the potential to affect her practice and places her clients who are vulnerable people at risk. So... The board will tell you what to do about that. First of all, they've got to figure out whether or not they think the notification has legs. Is it true? And if they're not sure, they they ask you for more information. Mm. So in my case, the the board requested that I answer, provide a report to answer the concerns, which is really only two sentences, alleging I'm, I'm deluded. I've got paranoid delusions, apparently. And... So they said, do you have a GP? And I also, it's helpful to have a supervisor that you're working with over mm. a long period of time because they know you, they know your practice. And, you know, in Australia, we're supposed minimum supervision requirements are about, I think it's about 10 hours a year, um, which is roughly works out to be about once a month, which is not a bad thing to make sure you're doing. And so I had a, so I provided a letter from my GP, my supervisor, and several colleagues who, um, which is also helpful having a few colleagues, but that's not always possible. Some of us mm. aren't aren't sort of social like that. Um, and yeah, how yep. how did you 
like, how did you feel about all of this? At the time, I was horrified. And also yeah. because I've because I've been in private practice for, I think it's coming up to 12 years now, and I've seen, like, I've probably provided over 5,000 sessions in that time, maybe more, maybe, maybe I don't know, my maths is a bit crazy sometimes, but um, on, on, the, on the fly. Well, the first thing you go is who the hell could have done this? Because the way that the <clears throat> inter- intake officer, I think he said it was a client, but I don't think it was a client. We've worked out probably who it was. It's most likely in my case to be a family member who is unfortunately mentally ill. Anyway, park that for the moment. Don't worry about who the notifier is. The, because I have close, and I have a lot of long-term clients that at least, I don't know, 40% of my work is with long-term clients. So, And the rest of the people I work with are in my local village. And I sort of, I have a, a whole range of ways of filtering clients and, you know, asking them to be accountable. So there's, I sort of require a certain way of working with them that they take a lot of responsibility for their part in the process. So these things serve to protect you, but it also helps you identify where a threat comes from. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't anybody I was working with. Now, that said, there are people who, like especially in the pandemic, oh, my God, there have been so many people demanding psych services, and I don't think that's really what they want. It's like they want help, but it's not psychological help necessarily. They want someone to make them feel better and make make the situation better. And you could say, well, that's anxiety, but it's getting very close to a crisis response, which is not what I provide when I'm not a crisis service. Yes. Yes. Um, so you have to weed people like you have to like have deterrence for that sort of person because they will become very distressed and angry with you if you can't help them. Yes. I um, uh, just want to just yeah, say you- another um, sort of clarifying fact that complaints are very different in the public sector. Okay, um, Jerry. Some yeah. complaints are much worse, but some complaints are much better. So things like somebody wanting their notes may be handled okay. by a whole medical records department oh, and you may never actually hear of it ever at all. Um, because you're in, yeah. Private practices where the unsupported nature of things can really come in, uh, not that you will be particularly well supported in the public sector, but but there's different mechanisms there, and I think it is very different. I would advise people to become a union member, although that, we don't that really have may a union. not necessarily be helpful. But, um, Emmy, I just want to share that oh, yeah. for a moment. And Righto, that, sure, it, thanks, Joe. Righto. It was many years ago, but yes, when I had yes. my um, spurious complaint, oh, God. Um, mm. I felt devastated. Yeah, of course. Very stressed. If I had to describe it, it was like my threat system was activated. Oh, sure. Um, Yes, all that happened. It's very difficult to put the threat and the rumination and the worry and the stress into a box and continue with your mid-career practice of seeing eight clients a day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Um, you're you're right, of course. I mean, of course that's true. It's your threat system does get activated because you're first like, who's done this? Because, like, you spend all your time trying to create safe containers, (laughs) generally coming from a compassionate place and trying to help. So when someone lands a punch, it feels like a punch, you know, you've just been smacked in the chest. And in a way, it is a punch. And we're going to run out of time before we talk about the therapeutic dimension of this and why this phenomenon happens, because I think Uh, that's a worthy discussion as well. It it definitely is. And also one of the, uh, there's a couple of things. Complaints are very much according to the regulatory environment and framework Yes. In which you work. So in my state of origin, there is a um, overarching body called the Healthcare Complaints Commission. Oh, uh, we've got, yes, um, we have, yeah, health commissioner. For the psych mm. board. So yeah. okay. the first part of the process of often receiving a complaint is working out what the actual process is. That's true. That's true, Jerry. That's, yeah, that's right. And, and that yeah, can that's... often be a number of phone calls. Uh, yeah, you kind of have to talk to your insurer and the insurer will assess whether the complaint mm. requires legal counsel and mm. 
um, you, you do need to think, start thinking gently about all your brilliant assessment skills. And it, it is good if you've got some policies in place. Like I've got some practice policies that provide a level of protection from this kind of complaint. And, oh, what have we got now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I guess we should talk about what is helpful, lest anyone accuse us of admiring the problem in advertent commas. <laughs> My spouse is um, oh. tempted. I never should have taught him this because this would have come from me. Oh, regret. I'm having a whinge and he says, are you admiring the problem um, oh, or are you just oh. admiring the problem? Um, super annoying. But we don't want to just admire the problem. Okay. okay. What helps is definitely your insurer. Um, yes, you've talked to your insurer. Yes. Your professional organisation can be They helpful. are helpful. Yes, yeah. they are. I spoke to Murray. I won't. Murray was, I read, I read the complaint out to Murray at the APS and Murray goes, all right. <laughs> so Murray couldn't be phased. Murray was not. Well, because I guess he gets these calls all the time and he rifles through his paperwork and then he goes, well, if the notifier is not willing to identify themselves, how convenient. I don't think it can be investigated, <laughs> um, which, is, which is helpful to know. Anyway, righto. It is. Mm. It is. You need someone very calm, very containing, who tells you the process, who tells you what's going yes. to happen. Agreed. Good idea. Um, very good, Jerry. Uh, and and I guess the appreciation in your heart for those people is is great. Um, I think you, you need to organization yep. is um the australian yeah. clinical psychology yep. association yes um, and and they were good as well um, oh good as okay. you said i'm just touching on what you said you need a supervisor um, yeah supervisor is very very to, very helpful to get you through it um yeah. who, also if you have to provide any paperwork yes going and over to, your yes your yeah. um, paperwork is pure gold and I do have to, I, I still have gratitude in my heart for the help I got. Uh, so so they're the, they're, they're true. you've got to help you because the regulatory body is not there for you. The regulatory body is there for the public to keep the public safe. And they're, they're very aware of that. They're very black. I found um, our regulatory body, bodies to be very black and white in all of the dealings I've had with them. They they are not interested in violating the confidentiality or privacy of the practitioner. All that their tight focus is just on, is there a risk to the public here or not? That's the beginning and the end of what they're up to. Mm. Um, mm. I think well, I had another riveting point, which has just flown out of my mind. <laughs> Pick it up again. I know we're well, laughing about this, but it's not funny. It's it's quite you you want to be ultra professional when you deal with the board. You've got to yes. be on your absolute game. You want to be impeccable with. You don't want to show a lot of emotion if you can help it because it's not their role to reassure you. You've got to go yes. to the professional body for that. You want to be compliant and cooperative. Like what you want to ask yes. them. What do you, what do you need from me? I understand yes. we have to be accountable to the public. That's the sort of attitude you want to show. And you want to seem like the most reasonable person in the Absolutely. world. Yeah, you you're definitely the, want you're to the do calmest, that. most reasonable unit in the entire universe. Um, Even though you don't feel like it at all, it is the moment for poise. No, it's the on moment. the inside is how can this be happening? I know. <laughs> but flashing. We, we totally have to peg this conversation for another episode. We've got to talk about why this stuff goes on because there is a mm. malevolence in psychology and it leaks, it leaches into the profession a little bit between colleagues. But there are particular people you are going to work with who are best described as sitting in a place of malevolence and they're, they're not able perhaps or interested in actually changing that they're, they're kind of sitting in that and they're, they will act mm. that out towards you if you give them a, an opening. Yes. And this brings me to, I guess, a learning point from it all, which yeah. it, it is positive but is also realistic, is when this happens to you, yeah. you know who's got your back, right? You know who is Oh, that's true. And yeah. you know who isn't. Uh, so yeah. that's hard learning, but it can 
it can be really good learning. Um, so you know exactly how much the madam is worth. Um, <laughs> and if yeah. they're one of the people who's going to support you or not. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's useful. Um, mm. You do know about the process. Um, you do like it's it's all it's all grist for the mill. Like you perhaps you do know about better documentation. Perhaps I mean m- most of the time the pra- like so I think the stats from our regulatory body we call them APRA um, suggests that seventy percent of all notifications are largely closed pretty pretty swiftly. But there's a, a 30% require a bit more investigation and about 20% of that is a, a bit more investigation and then there's about 10% of the notifications that are actually a real issue. So, you, I mean, I, when I first heard that psycho- psychologists, when I first heard that psychologists are prone to ending up in re- sexual relationships with their clients, I thought, what? That would never happen. That could never happen. How does this happen? This is my view as a young person. But then, of course, I came across a few cases, not, not in my own life. Uh, I would share that if it happened. But, you know, clients can be seductive. I've had one client that is, was very seductive. And I can see if you weren't super tight with boundaries or really onto that, you could get confused, especially if you're under the pump and you're lonely and not in a relationship. That could happen. But I do. I have had a. I've had one case that happened many years ago that I came to my attention where there was a female psychologist who was offering couples counselling to a couple, and the male partner was very charming and had narcissistic traits, and she ended up in a sexual relationship with him and continued to provide them with treatment. Now that situation requires a board. Yes, yes. Like it because it things like this can happen. I mean, you when until it's in front of you, you you can't imagine how it could happen. But I but I you know, I've had one client that was hot, really seductive and wanted to have a sexual relationship with me. And it took a lot of almost aggressive boundary setting with her. You know, we had some we had some borderline behavior going on. Mm. And so um it, it does happen. It can happen. And it, and if you think it can't happen, you're being naive. Mm, mm. And what I think is the antidote, well, what I think is the antidote is best illustrated from an interview I heard with yeah. um, great Australian actor Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, Ben. Um, <laughs> yes, I remember Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, it's a silly Ocker radio interview and they said, sure. How are you on set with all the boobs? Um <laughs> was For example, less, yeah. Yeah, less reconstructed time. And Ben said, I have my own life going on. Um Yeah, that's true. That's a, well, that's so, essentially how I set boundaries with that client. I yes. said, you know. Yes, so so the more the more that work is just a part of your life, a very important and very professional life, I think the less susceptible a practitioner is. Now, once again, this is just my own theory. Maybe I'll um, look up some articles on this because this this is interesting. Um, the more you have your own life, and perhaps late career, you're less, as I was saying, partial less partial is the wrong word, susceptible to that. Um, but if you're very lonely and you're in a solitary practice, yeah. um, it is wrong, but I can see how it would happen. Uh, it's, it, I can see how it would happen or it could happen, especially if you were lonely because you're in a very intimate space with a client. You know, we joke around about madams, but there is that there's a, there's a truth in that joke. Like you're dealing with a very intimate um, it's an it's an intimate it's a real relationship you have with clients. There's just really a really tight, hopefully a very tight container around it, and it's a complicated landscape to negotiate. I think when you're younger, you might need really really strict rigid rules, but as you get into more complex cases and more difficult presentations, that 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 process can become grayer. So supervision is there for you to review what you're up to. You you want to be yes. 
you want to feel safe with your supervisor because complex cases are by by their nature that we've got really disordered attachment going on so they're trying to they'll be trying to repeat some of those early learnings on you as part of their therapeutic process and that is you know it's it can be tr- transformative <clears throat> but it also yes. can be very demanding of you and i agree with you jerry if you've got a young family a lot of that energy has to go to your children and and you know, I think it, 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 people can work in a variety of ways. I particularly, for a period of my career, about 10 years, I liked or found a lot of meaning in depth psychology approaches mm. because I think ultimately if you want to transform your sense of self, that's what's ultimately needed. But that yes. means you, ha- you have to get right to the bottom of these attachment patterns and, and what we're doing and how, how sense of self. And it takes time and it's, it is interesting, rewarding work, but it's also demanding. And there's a lot of potential potholes and dangers there. Yes. Emmy, I don't want yep. to invalidate okay. no. that. But what I was going to say is it's not yep. just... Yep. And this is something that I really want to talk to you more deeply about and talk to everyone, yeah. is, which yeah, is about yeah. how no. often do we play the mother card? Oh, you know? yeah, okay, um, sure. Uh, and I, one of my values is to not play the mother card. Okay, um, all right. Well, yeah I, I, yeah. I should be more specific on that. One of my values is to intentionally play the mother card when needed and to really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. But, but to, to at least be aware <laughs> yeah. some insight that this is a heap of crap because anybody, people in general need time away from their work to handle whatever relationships they are or to work yeah. on themselves in yeah. whatever way. It's not something that should be dependent on how fertile your loins are. <laughs> um, so, uh, however, having said that, we have to wrap it up because yeah. the kids need me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the kids need you. <laughs> Yeah, I've got I've got kids to think about. Well, you know, when 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 women use the mother card, I think what it really is, it's like there's a skill setting boundaries, and it's not easy to set boundaries. You have to Mm. risk conflict. You Mm. have to risk sometimes a very intense conflict. So I think when women play the mother card, it's really what they're trying to do is I negotiate a boundary here, a sense of safety. Yes. Yes. And that is um, a societally acceptable way yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, the kids are unfortunately getting older. <laughs> so oh, no. I play the elderly relative card. Um, oh, that's hard too because they're in another state. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's so funny. All right. Um, How did we go today, Jerry? How did oh, we go? Let's really do a bit good. of a. It's just that the kids did we go good? With remote yeah, learning and everything, you know, I've still got remote to learning. You know, just be across that in me. <laughs> oh man, I um, well, with Sorry, my co- sometimes the boundary setting is not needed. I could just say I've just got to go. <laughs> well, when you've got when you've got a client who's being seductive, they're kind of introducing a seduction that conflicts with the therapeutic alliance, and. You know, to set a boundary with someone like that, you you have to risk rejecting them. So you got to like say, we're going to connect this way, not this way. Yes. The focus of our work here is not a relationship, not a sexual or romantic relationship. It's, and but it's it's a bit, but then that because the focus of the sessions can turn into a it's very complicated. You can't use the mother card on that dynamic, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go, I would find oh, a way. You, you, you <laughs> find a way. Like, oh, that. Well, I think that's the test case. How of whole, and you, the, I'll tell you what. The only thing that really gets you through that, you've got to build a sense of self. You you must be able to say this is making me uncomfortable, and use those reactions to start setting gentle. But on the, on the one hand, I really want to do this work with you. On the other hand, I'm feeling uncomfortable with what you're offering me. So that's. You have to be very practised at authentic communication to be able to do that. But that will keep you safe in the long run. It will. It will. And it will help you get through this 
latter stage of career, late stage career. It'll help you get to the the, the utopian nirvana we're all driving for. <laughs> you know, you know, giving up on the yeah, utopian nirvana. Yeah. Well, I think in the middle you do give up a bit. It just becomes a bit of a grind. You're like, you know, wading through yeah. complaints of people that are upset with you. Yes. Oh, um, did, yeah, well, right. Well, how did we go today? Great, so did great we go good? conversation. Okay, righto. Um, I mm-hmm. hope, I hope that yeah. um, we've extended empathy and perhaps oh, clarified some I bet, process points. I better um, tell everyone what happened with the board. So the board got back to me and said, sorry we took so long. We've been deluged by notifications from the upset community members not but not about you um and we've just we've decided no further action on this matter (laughs) yeah yeah you know and so you're left with that which is good but which is good but it's an inadequate explanation isn't it it's not their like they've done their job right their job is to protect the public and that's all they're interested in they're not about stringing up practitioners they i've never seen the board do that Really never, yeah. and I've been involved with them with a number of different cases with students. and So I suppose some of it's about being able to trust that authority, like, you, you know, being able to trust that they will do the right thing by you and the situation. And some of it's about trusting yourself because you've got to mount a response, which just needs to be really transparent and honest. Anyway, we're wombling on. We're mm. wombling on. We're still nervous, aren't we, Jerry? I'm mm. like, yeah, well, I don't know. It, yeah, it's a big issue without... Yeah, without clear guidelines, really. Yeah, now, well, you came up with some good guidelines. I'm sure that will help people. Um, They were good guidelines with your model. That was, yeah. The the other thing, and sorry, I'm just winging out here. Yeah, you're right. It does does make you reflect on under what circumstances should I complain about things? Because great question, Jerry. Mm. So, so that's one of the learnings I've got out of it. Okay. Do I want to be the kind of person who complains? Um, well, you know, it's part of hearing your voice, I think. I mean, you know, I encourage every single client I work with to pipe up as best they can at, to speak their part of the situation and learn, practice articulating because it Honestly, there's so many payoffs to it. It's not even funny. It will stitch relationships back together if you can get that working. But but so by not saying things that are, you're sitting with, it causes so much harm. It, go, it goes mm. somewhere. That emo- that emotional reaction doesn't leave you. It doesn't mysteriously resolve. Like it it starts to swelter and and mm. you know decompose mm. and it becomes a toxic force in the end. Um, so I, I think there's many levels you can look at this on. And I think we should keep the, keep this particular conversation going because there's a dimension to it to understand the therapeutic dynamics in the background. I think that is really helpful. Some of you have to look at this also personally. Like um, we need a framework. You're right. We need a framework. We'll have to think on that and come up with a framework for next time. We need a framework. You're good at frameworks. I'll ask you about a framework. <laughs> my, my framework seemed a, a, a you know a little a little simplistic. But well, but, on but that it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're trying. We're having a go. We're trying to articulate the dilemma. That's the main thing, Jerry. You've got to try and strap words on it. it. Honestly, there's so many payoffs to trying to commute. I don't think it's a bad thing for people to complain. I just hope that there's a learning that comes from it because that notifier would have got some feedback from the board and they would have gone in there full of the joys of spring and the self-righteous indignation of being right. And then the board would have come back and said, look, we've invested, we've had a look at the situation and we, we don't find any reason to think this practitioner is unwell mentally ill. So that's going to, that's feedback for that person. There's some kind of intense learning. And I suspect they were kind of swelled up with the confidence and then they're going to be cut down at the, as well. And that you might have a little part of your ego that goes, oh, good. But there's another part of me that goes, well, actually, is it good? Is it good? There's actually a problem there. What, what is, you know, so yeah. it's complicated, you know? Yeah. I, and I want to talk about the problem. We don't know so much. Yeah. We don't really know what. Yes. What, there's a lot that's closed to us. We, we only that's have. That's right. Um, yeah. I, I guess that's something that makes these situations uniquely difficult um, I know we've got to go, I know. But let's try let's try and keep this particular line of inquiry going because there's a there's a lot of there's a huge universe behind why these things mm, happen. 
Mm. I may yeah. just um, become overexcited by Uniqlo, though, at any Oh, yeah, well, that's that's a safe place for you, Jerry. safe oh. place. It's, isn't it? Look at that. Oh. We, just, we just love the oh. Uniqlo. Have I told you about Ginza Uniqlo? Well, we oh. could talk about Ginza. We'll the just mothership. Get you <laughs> this brings you great joy. It doesn't matter why. It's not. It doesn't matter why. It just does. This is truth in that experiential phenomenon. That's what it is, Jerry. It's an experience. All right. We'll yep. better bugger off. Okay. Good talk. All right. See ya. Talk to you Bye. soon. Bye. Bye.